0: Um, I'm going to be down there. Kayleen is going to be down there as well. But after service, if that's something you feel led to help out at, please come and find either me or Kayleen or the Carnies. Um, Yeah, anybody here and sign up for that. We're also going to be taking donations for that as well. So water um, and things like that. And if you could drop them off in the front of the church during the week, that would be awesome. Uh, Kayleen and I will also be here Thursday morning, at 11, so I guess it's kind of afternoon. But um, I'm really excited for this event. If you guys want to come, come contact with me after church service or grab a flyer. I right, thanks. Thanks, Jessica. Um, all right, Hebrews. Uh, last weekend, uh, Ladina, as I mentioned, opened up this series on Hebrews. We're just spending a couple weeks um, in this very complex book. Um, we don't have a lot of time to dig super deep into it this summer, but what we've asked speakers to do during this series is to reflect on some parts of the chapters they've been given of what stands out to them. And so we learned last week um, that Hebrews is a unique book in the Bible, as it's the only book in the Bible that we actually don't know who wrote it. Uh, as Christians, we, we know and we believe that the Holy Spirit of God prompted men to write the words of Scripture Uh, words that are God-breathed and profitable for teaching. Um, God's word is life itself. We just don't know who wrote this book, but we do know it was written to Jewish Christians before the year 70 A.D. Um, There's a lot of debate over who wrote this. My personal opinion is that it was Paul, um, but there's a, a lot of good evidence that it may have been uh, Apollos. It may have been a saint by the name of Clement. Uh, it may have been James, could have even been Peter. Some people actually think it was even um, Priscilla, one of the female leaders in the early church. We don't know who wrote it, um, but we know it was written, again, to Jewish Christians before the year 70 AD. And this book really reads like a sermon. Um, It points out the superiority of Jesus over all things, that Jesus is better, that Jesus is more, that Jesus is greater. 25 times in this book, it talks about Jesus being greater, more, and better. That's why we've subtitled this series, literally, Jesus is better. The author talks about how Jesus is superior to the angels. He's superior to the law. He's superior to Moses. He is higher than any high priest's. And last week, Ladina looked at chapters 1 through 3, and today we're going to just kind of have an overview of 4 through 6 and spend a lot of our time on chapter 6. And I'll give you just an overview of chapter 4 because it sets up 5 and 6. So in Hebrews chapter 4, the author urges his recipients to not miss out on entering into the rest that we have in Jesus Christ. He says, hey, the Israelites, they were freed from slavery but except for Joshua and Caleb, they did not enter into the rest that was their promised land. They missed out on that rest because the Israelites had heard of the freedom. They had heard of the good news of freedom from Egypt, but ultimately they did not have faith. They did not believe they were disobedient and their hearts were hardened and they were un- unable to enter that place of rest as a result. And so, The author of Hebrews tells us because of this, we must allow God's word to convict us. We must allow God's word to propel us to strive towards obedience so that we can receive the rest that Christ obtained for us and that we can enter into the fullness of the rest that God gives us at his coming return, at the resurrection of the dead, and at our judgment. Then at the end of chapter 4 and the majority of chapter 5, the author of Hebrews begins his comparison of Jesus to the Jewish high priests. And this comparison between Jesus and the high priest of Israel, it lasts all the way until chapter 10 of Hebrews. And next week, we're going to spend a lot of time looking at that and dissecting that. But he starts to introduce this in 4 and 5, that Jesus is our great high priest, And Jesus has made a way for us as our great high priest to enter into his rest. And that Jesus is a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. Because Jesus has been tempted in every way just as you and I have been tempted but was without sin. And because of this, because Jesus is our great high priest who's obtained this rest for us who's abstained from sin, though he has been tempted with every sin. Because of this, Hebrews 4.16 says this, and I have this on the screen, uh, if you're watching at home or on the screen behind me, it says, because of this, with confidence, we can draw near to the throne of grace. Hebrews 4.16, with confidence, let us draw near to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So you and I can go boldly before the throne of God through Jesus Christ. We can go boldly before this throne of grace so that we can receive help in time of need. And in context, the help that this author of Hebrews is telling us we can receive is help with resisting temptation. Help with obedience to Christ. And then in Hebrews 5, 9, it says that Christ is our source of eternal salvation, and he gives us access to God, and he gives us this help that we so greatly need. So that's chapter 4 and 5. But at the end of chapter 5, the author does this kind of strange thing. He sets up this comparison to Jesus and the high priest, and he's like, oh, time out, let's actually do something entirely different. And he goes on to warn urgently his readers. He goes on to share with us a concern that he has about us as Christians. And he gives this stern warning before returning to the comparison in chapter seven. So we find this departure in verse number 11 of chapter five. This is what Hebrews says. It says, about this, so about this comparison to Jesus And the high priest, about this, he says, we've got much to say. And it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. This is an odd way to word this. One of the reasons I think this is actually Paul, who's writing it, by the way. He says, hey, I'm going to teach you this very complicated thing, but you're too dumb to understand. I'm going to teach you this very complex thing, but before I do, you guys need to pay attention. You're not doing so hot. And it's so reflective of the times that Jesus, when he says, he who has ears, let him hear. In Revelation, it says, he who has ears, let the Let the church, let them hear what the Spirit is saying. So we must position our hearts in such a way that we are prepared to listen and receive and hear whatever it is God has for us. And so the author here is saying this comparison to Jesus as our high priest, it's really important. But I'm really concerned about you guys because you're just not paying attention. You need to start hearing. And he says, here's the problem I have. Chapter 5, verse 12. He says, By this time, you guys should be teachers, but instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You guys should be teaching, but instead, here I am having to teach you again. He says, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, Since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So you guys need to be teaching others. But here I am teaching you again. You're still babies. You're still baby Christians. You're still drinking milk. You ought to be mature. You should be eating solid food by now. But because you're not ready, you need more milk. And this is an odd topic to continue on from because we're going to talk about this concept of, uh, of nursing and milk and being weaned and eating solid food. And it's just going to flow from here, this, this comparison of, of how Sometimes as Christians, we're so focused on not moving beyond milk that we never get to solid food. And so let's just get over the awkwardness of that very topic. But in order to get over the awkwardness, let's make it a little bit more awkward. How many of you have ever seen a kid that's just a little too old to be nursing still? You watch like, do you know he has, he has his wisdom teeth already? <laughs> Maybe you've seen some videos where there's like, that kid's not even a toddler anymore. <laughs> Probably shouldn't be nursing. And the moms are like, he just loves to nurse. Like, okay, who, who needs to grow up? You were the, the kid here. <laughs> and, and it made me start thinking, like, my, my parents will tell me about, um, you know, I was born in, in 1980. And they used to, like, graduate kids from... Um, formula, like for, formula in 1980, I'm pretty sure, it was like made out of asbestos, <laughs> and, and so they, they they give kids formula, like at one month old, I think they're ready for like ri- like rice, let's just start feeding kids rice, and by two months old, they're like, I think it's time for steak, and today, they're like, no, we probably should nurse kids till they're like 18, and then maybe they can graduate to protein shakes, and then maybe they, they can graduate to food, and so when were you weaned? <laughs> most of us don't know, do we? But what, what was one of the most solid? What, when did you start eating solid food? And I can remember when, when I had kids, it was always exciting to start to give them their first solid food, to graduate from milk, to, to watch them eat cake. And for some reason, we want our kids to be so healthy and so health conscious, but when they turn one years old, you're like, here's an entire cake, do with it as you will. But never again. This is the only time you can go wild, but don't you even look at candy again before eating this or this or this or this. Some of you, you allowed your kids to be weaned, but you're like, but they've moved on to a sippy cup. And like, hey, you're 12. You probably shouldn't have a sippy cup anymore. And you've got no teeth to show it. And and so we do these things where it's like, when is it appropriate? And here the author of Hebrews is saying, You guys are too old to be nursing. It's just kind of awkward. You guys, while you're still on milk, you need to be eating solid food. And so, Hebrews 6 verse 1, he says this. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. The author's not saying don't drink milk. He's not saying that they shouldn't reflect on those basic principles of the oracles of God. He's not saying they shouldn't enjoy milk from time to time because milk is their foundation. But what he's saying is you need to move past milk. You need to begin to add some solid food to your diet. You need to go from infancy. You need to move on from elementary childhood. You need to move towards maturity. You need to graduate from milk to solid food. And so let's look again, verse 1, and we'll look this time, we'll add verse 2 and 3. He says this, Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. Let us go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works. Not laying again a foundation of faith towards God. Not laying again a foundation of instructions about washing. Not laying again a foundation of laying on of hands the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. He's saying you shouldn't have to learn this again, guys. You you shouldn't have a foundation built all over again. If God permits, we will grow up. If God permits, we'll move on from milk to solid food. And this verse is a little bit complicated, but in it he actually spells out what the milk is. He says, you need to move on from milk. And here is milk. Number one, repentance from dead works. He says, you need to move on past this idea of repentance from dead works. He says, that's elementary. To be born again, to even be a baby who requires milk, to be born again, it requires repentance of your sin. He says, we shouldn't have to repent all over again of sin. You need to turn from sin and turn to Christ You shouldn't keep going back and back and back and back. And number two, he says this, faith towards God. Milk is having faith towards God. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. To be born again, you must put your faith in Jesus Christ to have relationship with God. He says you can't keep starting faith again and again and again. That's milk. You need to move past repentance and faith. He says milk is instruction about washing. Now, that's a strange way to put it. He's just saying baptism. You've got to move past baptism. You should have been baptized the moment you believed. Why why don't you remember your baptism? Why don't you remember that it represented going from death to life in Christ? You guys are still focused on milk, on baby, on elementary, on childish things. It's time to grow up. It's time to move on to solid food number four. He says laying on of hands. He says that milk is just this idea of prayer, of healing, of impartation. You should know about these things. You should be praying for people. You should be receiving prayer. It's time to move past these things. And the final thing he says is this. He says, you shouldn't have to have this foundation laid again about the resurrection of the dead and about eternal judgment. That's odd, but what he's saying is the elementary doctrine of the faith is final things. That it's appointed to men once to die, and after that, the judgment. That Jesus Christ is returning someday to resurrect and to judge the living and the dead. Basically, what the author of Hebrews is saying that's that's elementary doctrine. It's possible here that some of them are actually fearing death. You guys don't need to fear death because we know that Christ will resurrect and judge the living and the dead. And Christ has prepared a way for you to be able to come into the sanctuary in the presence of God. You guys should know these things by now. You guys should be able to teach these things. You should have your foundation built on these things. Now, Again, he's making this contrast, but he's not, saying, he's not saying stop repenting of sin. He's not saying you should stop calling others to repentance. He's not saying that you should cease your faith in God or call others to faith in God. He's not saying you shouldn't baptize people anymore. He's not saying you shouldn't be praying for people and receiving prayer anymore. He's not saying that you shouldn't be preaching about end times and final things. He's just saying you guys need to be doing these things. You need to be doing these things that are like milk, but you also need to be growing in these things, and you need to move forward with these things. You need to move into maturity. You need to move into solid food. And so he warns him. He's like, you guys are just so focused on milk when you need to be eating food. And the author says, okay, we're we're comparing Jesus to the great high priest." I'm going to take this sharp left turn and give a warning. And, and now I think it's time to write one of the most controversial three sentences in all of the New Testament. He's like, since, since you guys are so mature, let me write something very complicated. And here, here's what the author writes in verse 4 through 8. Again, incredibly debated passage. This passage we're about to read, the reason it's debated is because... This opens up a big can of worms of whether or not someone can lose their salvation or not. And we're not here today to dissect that. But we want to read this verse in context. What the author of Hebrews has said, he says, you've got access to God through Christ. You now can enter into his rest. He warns his audience, you need to mature beyond milk. You need to mature into solid food. And in verse 4, he says this. Because it's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened. Who have tasted the heavenly gifts. And have shared in the Holy Spirit. And have tasted the goodness of the word of God. And the powers of the age to come. And then have fallen away. It's impossible to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that is drunk, the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it's cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed. And its end is to be burned. How many of you are like, I understand 100% what he's saying. None of us actually do because Christians have been debating over this doctrine and this verse for the last 2,000 years. So we're not here today to, to jump forward with a full understanding of this verse. But if we're reading it in context, which we must do with Scripture, here's what he's saying. He's saying if someone has already been fed milk, if someone knows what milk tastes like, but if they never move forward, if they never grow, if they never mature, if they never eat solid food, if they have no desire to graduate from milk to steak, then they're never going to move forward. Then they're never going to repent. He says, People that do that, people that are so fixated on just sticking with milk, he says they're taking advantage of God's grace. They're taking God's grace for granted, rejecting the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, crucifying him all over again. The gist of what he's saying is if you want to survive and if you want to thrive, you can't nurse forever. He really wants baby Christians to grow. God wants us to grow. Healthy things grow. Now, I know a lot of us, especially maybe as we get baby fever, we're like, I just wish that our kids never grew up. I wish that they would have stayed babies forever. But the reality is, if your kids would have stayed babies forever, I actually did a lot of research this week. Can someone live on breast milk their entire life? And I found out they can. But do you know who cannot live on breast milk their entire life? The one nursing, (laughs) the mom. How many of you, like moms, you're like, I could not have a newborn baby for my entire life. You would die of exhaustion before your baby ever grew at all. The author is telling us, you guys have to grow up. You can't be satisfied with staying where you're at forever. You've got to move forward. You've got to mature. Why is it that we don't see animals in the animal kingdom nursing until adulthood? It's because they can't survive that way. They can't thrive that way. They become prey for predators. And I'm here to tell you that if you never grow up in your faith, you are prey for the predator. You are prey for the enemy who is going about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You are primed to be taken advantage of by the one who the Bible calls the thief, the deceiver, the accuser, Satan himself. But he's like guys you need to mature you need to move past milk because if, if all you have is a taste for milk and if you never get a taste for solid food I'm concerned that you're not even saved but then he's like after I've terrified you to death questioning your salvation let me give you a little bit of encouragement And they're like already so beaten down they're like okay what do you got to say And if you read through Hebrews, you notice that the author uses the word we a lot, which is interesting, implies someone's helping here with this letter. So he says, though we speak in this way, though we just gave you this very stern warning, don't burn and go to hell, yeah, in your case, beloved, we feel sure of things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work He spells out very plainly for us what milk is. But the author of Hebrews does not spell out plainly what solid food is. But if you begin to search through the scriptures, the Holy Spirit never leads an author of scripture to say, here is a list of solid foods that you need to eat. But it's actually strongly inferred. And here we find two solid foods that we are told we need to graduate from milk and move towards. Number one is this. In context of this scripture, we find out that one of the solid foods that you and I are to be eating is work. You and I have been created for good works. You and I learn from the brother of Jesus, James, that faith without works is dead. And so here the author of Hebrews says, I notice that you guys have a lot of good works. The author of Hebrews is saying, not only are you working, but the specific work that you are doing is you're actually serving your brothers and your sisters in Christ. And I want you to be earnest about this. I want you to be passionate. I don't want you to be sluggish. And so if you want to graduate from repentance, faith, Baptism, prayer, and final things, the Bible tells you that you need to be on a steady diet of doing good works. Do good works save you? Absolutely not. The grace of God saves us. God is the one who has worked for our salvation in our place. But when we put faith in the grace of God given to us on the cross through Jesus Christ, we are filled with the spirit and we are propelled, compelled to do good works and to serve our brothers and our sisters in Christ. And so if you want to begin eating solid food, just ask yourself, what am I doing to work for the good of others? What am I doing to serve my community? In context, what am I doing to serve my church and my brothers and my sisters? Number two, a solid food we all need to have a steady diet of is just simply love. He says, God's not going to overlook your work. He's not going to overlook your love. We find out in 1 John 4 that our faith is actually perfected in love. When we just bask in the love of God, And when God's love compels and propels us to love others and to sacrifice for the good of others, that that is something that will perfect our faith. When you go to 1 Corinthians 13, Paul starts to talk about this same idea. He says, if you're not loving, you're actually acting as a child. If you're not loving, you're actually speaking as a child. Paul says, when I was a child, I did childish things, but now I need to mature and give up my childish ways. One of the ultimate solid foods that you can be eating a steady diet of is just simply to love others. Now, love doesn't mean that you approve of others. Love doesn't mean that you give um, validation to whatever people are doing, but we're gonna learn in a minute that sometimes love means speaking the truth, but we speak the truth in love because we care for others. And so eat this steady diet of works and of love. And if you look at this idea of solid food throughout Scripture, you find three other things that are solid foods. The third thing is this. The third solid food that you and I need to be consuming is just simply the Word of God. We learn in verse 13 and 14 that those who only drink milk are unskilled in righteousness. We learn that the mature who eat solid food have powers of discernment because they're trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And the only way that you and I can grow in such discernment is from the word of God. And Ladina put this so wonderfully last week that the problem with so many of us Christians is that the only time that we actually consume the word of God is in an environment or in a service like this. And I would propose to you today that if this is the only time that you have a diet of God's word, I don't even know if you're on milk yet. You are not here to be fed. I am here to teach you how to eat. Pastors, preachers, evangelists, prophets, they're not here to nurse you or to give you a bottle or a sippy cup. They are here to give you an appetite to eat God's word and to prepare you for the work of the ministry. And so you cannot come here and have one bottle full of milk and expect to survive the rest of the week. You must be on a steady diet of milk and solid food. So one, solid food. Works, serving. Two, solid food, love. Three, the greatest solid food of all, the word of God. You must be eating and consuming the word of God. And then number four is this. Um, One easy way to put it is just the Holy Spirit. Number four is to walk by the Spirit. The solid food that we are to eat is walking by the Spirit in unity. Unity. I'll point out two scriptures, 1 Corinthians 3. Paul says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. Here, he uses the same imagery as Hebrews. Another reason I think Paul probably wrote it. He says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, because you weren't ready for solid food. And even now, you're not ready for solid food, for you are still in the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? He says here, to be stuck on milk causes you to be stuck in jealousy, causes you to be stuck in strife. That's living according to the flesh. Peter says something very similar. 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter says... Put away all malice, put away all deceit, put away all hypocrisy, put away all envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, oh, there it is again, like babies, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. He's not saying stay with milk. He's saying you must have a steady diet of milk and then a steady diet of solid food. So both Paul and Peter describe drama. Both Paul and Peter describe division and quarreling and jealousy and being stuck as a baby being in the flesh. It's the opposite of maturity. It's the opposite of eating solid food. And so Paul says in Galatians 5, he says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of Of the flesh. And so, when you and I know the Word of God, when you and I are exhibiting love and doing good works on behalf of the kingdom of God, when we start walking by the Spirit, when we start pursuing and eating spiritual food, that's where Paul says that you and I will bear spiritual fruit. The fruit of the spirit, what is it? It's love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When we start walking in step with the spirit, we start producing things of the spirit, which Hebrews calls it this, that we bear a crop of blessing. So many of you, your lives are not producing fruit because you haven't moved on from milk, if milk at all. And the final theme is this, the final solid food that we find in the New Testament is found in Ephesians chapter 4. So yes, drink the milk of repentance, drink the milk of faith, drink the milk of baptism, drink the milk of prayer, drink the milk of final things. But you must add to that works and love. You must add to that the word of God walking in the spirit. And finally, one of the greatest solid foods you and I can eat is the church. An excellent source of food, solid food, is the church. Hebrews 4 says, God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith And of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the ways and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human coming, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head. We are to grow up into Christ. So we must feed ourselves, as we mentioned. We must feed ourselves, but the church helps us learn how to eat. The church is an opportunity. I I love this. The church is actually an opportunity for us to eat together. Because we all eat when we read the word of God away from this gathering. We are eating and consuming the solid food of the word of God. But when you and I gather like this, we're actually having communion. We're feasting on God's word together as a community. There's something powerful about that. The church is causing you to be equipped, to be built up, to be unified, to be educated, to be matured. Together under the giftings of the leadership who are called to speak the truth to us in love. One who is not fully engaged in the church is not eating solid food. They're missing out. We say, Pastor, isn't there more than five solid foods? Yeah, I don't know how many there are. This list is not exhaustive. But it's a good place to start. It's a good place to start a healthy diet of solid food, and to wean yourself from only being on milk. So I'm going to ask Kim to come up and lead us in a couple of worship songs, and we're going to go into a time of of prayer and ministry. If I could just have a couple more moments of your time, if you could grab your phones for me real quickly, and if you could make sure you put those away. Some of you need to just bow your heads or close your eyes. Do whatever you need to do to eliminate distraction. I was putting this message together this week as I was struggling with being sick. And um, I wasn't happy as I was putting it together. Because I, I was feeling conviction about some of these things that here I am trying to preach to you. We all find ourselves sometimes lacking a diet of solid food. But as I was putting this together, here's what I realized. Some of us aren't even drinking milk. Solid food is not even on our radar. (laughs) Because we're not even drinking milk. Now, why would someone not drink milk? Well... To, to make some sort of a spiritual analogy the reason someone wouldn't drink milk is because they're they're not yet a baby Jesus in John chapter three he told this religious man named Nicodemus who was doing all sorts of good works he said Nicodemus you need to be born again the reason that so many of us aren't even on a diet of milk yet is because we're not even born again. We haven't even put our faith in Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and you say, I don't don't know Jesus. I haven't even drank the milk of repentance. I haven't even drank the milk of putting my faith in Jesus Christ. I've never been baptized before. I've never prayed for anyone. I've never really had hands laid on me and have been prayed for. And I don't know where I'm going when I die or when Jesus returns. I don't know the state of final things. I just don't know Jesus. The most important thing we could do today, the most important thing that you could do is to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Paul, who wrote much about being a baby and being mature, Paul said this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he says, then you will be saved. In John chapter 3, when Jesus says that we must be born again, he says this. He says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus is talking about himself. He says that whosoever believes in the son of God, Jesus Christ, whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so as Peter, the disciple, as he preached to a crowd of thousands, the day that the church received the Spirit of God, 10 days after Jesus ascended to be with the Father in heaven, as he was preaching to this crowd, they were convicted. The Bible says they were cut to the heart, and they asked Peter, what do we do with this feeling? And here's what Peter said. He said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins in the name of Jesus Christ. In that, Peter introduces milk. Repent, faith, baptism. Repent, faith, baptism. For the forgiveness of your sins, final things. Repenting and faith, that's prayer. Peter says, you've got to start drinking milk. And if you're here today and if you don't know Jesus, I implore you today to put your trust in him. Some of you aren't even drinking milk, though you have professed faith in Jesus. Maybe some of you have repented of sin. Maybe some of you have put faith in Christ, been baptized, been prayed for, tasted and seen that God is good, had trust in final things. But right now, you're not even drinking milk because you're too busy being on life support. We're not called to be on life support spiritually. We're called to be drinking spiritual milk and eating spiritual food. Don't be stuck on life support, just waiting around until Christ returns or calls you home. But instead, what kind of love, what kind of works, what kind of involvement in the church, what kind of walking in the spirit, what kind of consuming of the word of God are you doing? Some of you are just stuck on milk. You're like a 19-year-old kid who curls up with his sippy cup at night. You haven't moved forward. Stuck on milk. Refusing to be weaned. Some of you have no appetite, no ambition for solid food. And that's because to you, you're just fine with a get-into-heaven-free ticket. But you have zero relationship with Jesus Christ. And if that's the case, if if we just want to get out of hell free card, if we just want to get into heaven ticket, but have no relationship with Christ, I don't even think we have either of those tickets. Because we don't put our faith in Jesus Christ to go to heaven. It's a bonus, of course. We don't put our faith in Christ to escape hell. We put our faith in Christ because he's the only way. He's the only thing that's true. He's the only source of life or salvation. We put our faith in Jesus because we have nowhere else to go. Only he holds the words of everlasting life. And even if there wasn't a heaven or if there wasn't a hell, which there are both, I would hope we'd still surrender our life to Christ because relationship with him it's good in itself. What solid food do you need to start eating? Do you desire maturity? Do you want to grow? Do you have ears to hear? Does your heart long to please God? Does your heart long to abstain from sin? Does your heart long to serve Christ? You need solid food. And here's where I was so convicted this week is here's what what I tend to do. I tend to kind of fixate or focus on one or two solid foods and never enter into a part of a balanced, healthy diet. I focus on like a couple sections of the food pyramid but neglect the others. I always tell my wife, I would be 100% fine on a steady diet of peanut butter and jelly, Chipotle, Mod Pizza, and Jersey Mike's. You give me those four things, that's all I need. But if that's all I do, I'll miss out on so much. And I have found that in my own eating habits, they often reflect my spiritual eating habits as well. For example, maybe you're in the word But you're not in church. Maybe you're working and serving, but you're not in the Word. Maybe you're walking by the Spirit. You're walking by the Spirit. You're using your spiritual gifts. You're abstaining from real big sin, but you're always jealous. You're always slandering others. And you're not living in unity. What what ought we to do if that's the case? Well, we need to broaden our diet a little bit. We need to go back to the milk and check to see that we're eating a balanced diet of healthy, solid food. So I'm going to invite you into a time of prayer. Last week I went to a conference for the network of churches that are church is a part of it. It's called the Fellowship Network. And I had just gone up to the altar in worship. Not for prayer, just, just in worship. And somebody I'd never interacted with before. I think he was from another country. He, he came up to me. He laid, his, he laid his hands on me and he said this. He said, um, God, I'm praying over this young man. I've never met him before. I like that he called me a young man too. He I'm praying over this young man A season of open doors. I'm praying over open doors that he move into a new season. Someone else had a word of prophecy for me on the night that we left the conference. Very similar word. I was a little annoyed that I forgot that this door was still here when I came in today. But it's here for a reason. Ask um, and Tim, if you could just kind of bring it right here. What what this door? What we've been doing with this door, as we wrapped up our open door series a couple weeks ago, is just inviting people to walk through this door as a sign of our faith, as a sign of moving through. It's, it's... come on, Tim. Been eating your solid food, Tim? <laughs> Okay, shh. Okay. Don't, don't, don't get lost in distraction. Seriously. This door represents walking through to, to something new that God has for you on the other side. Jesus says, I am the door. Whoever comes in by me will be saved. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him, and he with me. This open door represents an open door of opportunity, an open door of a move of the spirit, an open door of effectiveness in the gospel, and a decision to not stand in the door jam, but to go all in. So as Kim begins to sing this next song, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna have some of our leaders on the other side of this door Tim, Kara, Ladina, if you guys could be ready to do that. But if you'd say today, I don't know Christ and I want to know him, as as we begin to sing, I'd just like you to to make your way from your seat as we're singing and walk through this door as an act of faith. And they just want to celebrate with you, lay hands on you, that spiritual milk, pray for you, that you would receive the salvation that you've put your faith in God to receive that you'd receive the Holy Spirit and that you'd receive life. For those of you who said, hey, I'm I'm in, I I know Jesus, but I'm just kind of stuck on life support. I'm not even focused on milk anymore. And today as an act of repentance, I need to walk through this door and I need to receive prayer and the laying on of hands so that I can begin drinking milk again, let alone solid food. Or maybe you're convicted today You've got like one or two foods you're eating all the time, but you're neglecting the others. And, And God wants to give you today an appetite for walking in the spirit. God wants to give you an appetite for the word of God. God wants to give you an appetite for the church. God wants to give you an appetite for love, for unity. Or God wants to give you an appetite for just working out your salvation, serving others because of what God has worked in you. So as we sing, don't hesitate, don't delay. Begin to walk through this door and receive all that God has. So would you stand with me? God, we thank you for your word today. Holy Spirit, we wait on you. We ask you to speak to our hearts, speak into our minds. The Lord put on my heart that there's someone here this morning who. By taking an act of faith this morning, whatever that looks like for you, I don't know, but by taking an act of faith that the thing that you've been waiting for, God's ready to give, but you've got to take a step of faith. You've you got to let go and take a step of faith. You might not know why you're here in this stage of life, in this place geographically, in this season, in this culture, but God just saying this morning: take take a step of faith, and I'll meet you on the other side, and I'll take you exactly where you need to go. What's that step of faith look like today? Take it. God's convicting some of you right now to to take take a big step of faith and making a sacrifice, making a sacrifice something something big that God's calling you to give up. something that God's calling you to sow into ministry, some time that God's calling you to give up, to serve, whatever it is, take the step today. Whatever God's prompting, putting on your heart, don't don't try to dismiss it. Take that step. So God, so be it. Lord, bless this time of worship. Bless this time of ministry and prayer. Meet us exactly where we're at. In Jesus' name, amen.